I think I'm going to have to talk to Jeff. The Oak Leaf Praise Team, he's put together an album. <laughs> we can uh, listen to it in our cars and stuff. But good, good worship. Thank you so much. Take your copy of God's Word and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 4 this evening. John, chapter 4. We're going to think for a few minutes together about the woman at the well. Probably a very familiar passage for you. You've read the Bible much, particularly in the Gospel of John. Last week, we, uh, we looked in chapter 3, and Jesus had a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. Now, you'll remember him. He was a, uh, well, let's just think about what we know about him. Well, one, he was a man, which would be drastically different from the person that will be in this passage. Uh, Nicodemus was not only a man, he was a Jew uh, by ethnicity. Uh, he was a religious man. He was a Pharisee. You'll remember from last week we talked about what all that meant. It was quite the uh, personal calling to be a Pharisee, quite the commitment uh, to do that, to obey the law and even the oral traditions of Jewish uh, Judaism. He was a ruler. You'll remember he was a member of the Sanhedrin court, so he was uh, a person of authority. So he was on the Sanhedrin court. He was a respected teacher in his own right. He was devoutly religious. He, he came to Jesus. He initiated a conversation. He came to look for answers about the kingdom of God, and the conversation was very respectful. He referred to Jesus as rabbi, recognized even though he was a, a qualified and respected teacher, he, he basically acquiesced to Jesus as the teacher and called him rabbi. So Nicodemus came, if we were to, uh, if we were to maybe put up a scorecard of, of how you'd want to come to Jesus, he did pretty good. He came with the right attitude, with humility, and with a willingness to learn and a willingness to be taught, a willingness to hear what Jesus had to say. Now that picture is in stark contrast to the picture that we find in chapter 4. Uh, in this chapter, Jesus will enter into a conversation with a person who is very much unlike Nicodemus. In fact, it's a woman and not a man. Not only is it a woman, but she's not Jewish, she's Samaritan. She's part Jewish and part something else. And so she's called a Samaritan. When you compare her maybe to Nicodemus, she's religious because they worshipped on Mount Gerizim uh, where they thought they should worship. But in the religious category, she was quasi because she was also a person of, of less than stellar moral character when you read the passage. She was uh, religious in name only, which we're familiar with that among Christianity, are we not? Uh, people who are Christian by title only. And so this woman would represent uh, someone who was maybe not uh, like Nicodemus. And not only that, but when we get into the passage, you'll see that the conversation wasn't quite respectful in the beginning. Uh, there was not a lot of, of her respecting Jesus for who he was. She was, uh, well, she's a smart aleck in the beginning, okay? And so uh, if you drew a comparison between these two, Nicodemus came, if we could say, with all the right uh, perspective, looking for answers. This woman, Jesus began the conversation. She didn't begin the conversation. In fact, in the beginning, she didn't want to be in the conversation. Uh, so you see quite the difference in the story. So let's pick it up in verses 1 to 4 of how the whole thing began with this Samaritan woman. It says here, John recounting, for us, therefore, when the Lord knew, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, and then he clarifies, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, 
Jesus, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now let's set the context a little bit. There's some interesting stuff in here. Uh, Jesus' teaching and preaching and the miracles and his ministry drew crowds. Now we could understand that. Jesus was doing some pretty tremendous things and his teaching was powerful. We talked about that before and it, it influenced people's lives. In fact, when Jesus taught, it was as if people heard him teach and said to themselves, that's what we've been looking for. The religious leaders don't do it. They just quote things from the past and laws that we've heard, but he puts life to it. It comes alive when he teaches and so large crowds came. And of course the miracles, Every time we read a passage where Jesus did miracles, once they figured out that Jesus healed people, they brought people from near and far, loved ones, friends, family, anybody who was sick, they would bring them. So you can see the situation here. Jesus is becoming very popular. People are, are tweeting about him. No, they're not. They don't have phones. They're, they're, they're talking about Jesus, and the word is spreading about this, about this teacher. And, and for the Pharisees, Jesus was a bit of an upstart. Okay, in other words, we talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus didn't, didn't become a rabbi through the normal processes of the day. He didn't have a teacher. He didn't go to, to rabbi school. He didn't go to a seminary. He didn't do those things. And they didn't understand he's the one who wrote the textbook. So he didn't need to go to school, okay? And they didn't get all that. But anyway, to the Pharisees, he was a bit of an upstart. And so they were a little disturbed that Jesus was drawing these large crowds and they were probably most disturbed because he was taken away from their crowds. You know, and that's kind of how preachers are sometimes. What do you mean my members went to your church and that kind of stuff, right? Uh, and so they were probably a little upset that people were coming from their crowds to hear Jesus. And it says here that when Jesus knew that, he decided to move his operation from Judea to Galilee. Now, don't answer out loud, but just think to yourself, why would Jesus do that? Why would he, he see the crowds and see the agitation of the Pharisees and decide to move to Galilee? Well, here's the answer. It wasn't time yet. In other words, it wasn't time for them to get so upset with him that there becomes this confrontation that would come. But remember, Jesus is here, was here to do a ministry, and he's on the Father's timetable. And so it wasn't time yet. Now, to understand why he moved where he moved, let me lay out the geography for you a little bit. I won't draw you a map or anything, just in your mind. In the, in the south is Judea, where Jerusalem's at, okay? In the far north, if you will, up the coast in your mind of the Mediterranean Sea, at the top is Galilee. Well, Judea and Galilee are pretty much Jewish, but the part in the middle was called Samaria, and the Samaritans lived there, okay? And so what Jesus did is when he saw these, these large crowds and he knew it was going to cause animosity with the Pharisees, he decided to move his operation from Judea to Galilee. Now to get to Galilee, what do they have to pass through? Samaria, because it's in the middle. Now what a, what a lot of devout Jews would do to not go through Samaria, and I'll explain why this is a problem in a minute, is they would go east and cross over to Jordan, go up the Jordan River and then cross back over when they got up to Galilee so they didn't have to walk through Samaria. The Jews and the, Jews and the Samaritans didn't like one another. And let me tell you what kind of commitment that was. As best I can tell, if you walk straight from Judea to Galilee through Samaria, it'd probably take you two and a half, three days. If you go across the Jordan River and walk up the other side, probably double that. So they would be so adamant about not walking through Samaria that they would have three days of their journey to go across the Jordan to walk up. Now that's not liking somebody, is it? I mean, that's, that's like not really wanting to hang out with them that they would do this. But Jesus is going to move his operation from Judea up to Galilee to kind of 
smooth out the conflict right now until it's time when he comes back. And then, of course, they will arrest him and he'll go to the cross. Now, why, let me give you the history real quick, a short version of why the Samaritans and the Jews didn't like one another. And to say they didn't like one another is being kind. They despised one another. They hated one another. The Jews, if they did walk through Samaria, as soon as they stepped back into what they considered Jewish soil, they would dust themselves off so they wouldn't be defiled by the dirt from Samaria. It's the same dirt, but they, they, they thought it would be defiled because the Samaritans were. And the Samaritans despised the Jews because the Jews despised them. And so uh, turnabout's fair play. But here's what happened. In, in 750 BC, so this thing was like, by the time of Jesus, this, this feud between the Hatfields and McCoys, the, the Jews and Samaritans, like 750 years old. And here's what happened. When the Assyrians conquered the northern 10 tribes in 750 uh, BC, the Assyrians did what conquering nations normally do. They took, all the, they took the people that were there and moved them somewhere else to quill their national fervor so they wouldn't fight back. And then they moved other people in there. Well, they left some Jews there. And in the other groups of people that they moved into the northern part of the kingdom, those Jews intermarried and lost their ethnic purity. They weren't, they weren't pure Jews anymore. Well, when Ezra and Nehemiah and all those guys came back from captivity, they went back to Jerusalem and began to build the temple and the walls. Remember all that? Okay. Y'all are following me, right? So they come back to build the temple and the walls, and they're going to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, remember, there were some, some Samaritans who came and said, hey, we'll help you. Remember that? And the Jews who came back said, Nick's nay on the help because you're, you don't know your bloodline. You can't show that you're really a Jew. Your bloodline is tainted and everybody who's building this temple, everybody who's living here are going to be Jews and that ain't you. How do you think that went over? Not good. Okay, so then, so then the Samaritans and the Jews started hating one another and all the way up till Jesus' day. Well, do you think it had gotten any better by Jesus' day or worse? Worse, okay? It's not better. Because the longer people hate one another, the more ingrained it gets. And so by the time Jesus comes, the Jews and the Samaritans, they really don't like one another, okay? I mean, the Jews look at the Samaritans as, as not really part of God's people. And the Samar Matter of fact, that's why the Samaritans, and I forgot the guy's name. I should have looked it up. There was a Samaritan who said, you know what? We'll do one better than you. You have your temple in Jerusalem. We'll build one in Mount Gerizim and we'll do the same thing and we'll worship God here and you worship God there and we think we're right and you're wrong and the Jews said, no, you're wrong. So you see, okay? So that thing went on. And so you'll see that in a minute in the conversation with the, with the woman. She brings that up. Hey, we worship God here and you worship in Jerusalem. Who's right? She, and the reason she did that is she didn't like talking about what Jesus was talking about. So anyway, um, You'll see that in, a, in the story in a minute. Now, it's interesting here that Jesus says in those first four verses, it says he must go to Samaria. Why? He must. In other words, that's the determined path. I'll give you two reasons why. Number one, it was the shortest route. I mean, Jesus didn't care they were Samaritans, right? I mean, so why take six days when you can take three? And the other one is, the other is the more important reason is it was an appointed time. Jesus had an appointment with a woman at a well. So he couldn't go any other way because he's got an appointment with a woman at a well. She don't know she has an appointment at the well, but Jesus knows she's got an appointment at the well. And I was thinking about that this week. You know, the day you got saved, you didn't know you had an appointment, did you? You didn't know you had an appointment to get saved that day. Jesus knew you had an appointment to get saved that day. And see, so the day you got saved, wherever you were at and when it happened, Jesus was there waiting on you when you got there. 
Now, you might not have got saved at a well. You might not have got saved at, at, at dipping well, water out of a well in, in Sychar of, of Samaria, but you were somewhere, and you heard the gospel, and God dealt with your heart, and Jesus had an appointment with you. Man, I, it is wonderful to think about the sovereign design of God in our lives, isn't it? This woman, she got saved, by the way. I'll tell you the end before we get there. This woman is in heaven right now. She's with Jesus. Don't you want to get to heaven and sit down with her for a little while? And say, what did you think when you went to get water that day? There's this guy sitting there, and he starts asking you for water, and he's a Jew. I'm sure she has a story to tell. She probably has a story to tell. I didn't want to be out there in the middle of the day anyway. It was hot. And nobody else would let me draw water with the rest of the women, so I'm out there all by myself, and there's this guy sitting there wanting water. Jesus had an appointment, so he must go through Samaria. Now, notice what happens when he gets there. Look at verses 5 to 9. So he came to a city of Samaria, it was called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink. Verse 8. Now here's, I'm going to look at verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. I want you to stop right there for a minute. What nationality are his disciples? They're Jewish. Jesus already rubbing off on these guys. If it hadn't have been Jesus and it hadn't have been where they are, they would have never went into a Samaritan uh, town to buy food. They'd have starved to death first. But where are they? Jesus sits down by the well and they go into town to get food. Jesus is already wearing off on these guys. They're not as prejudiced as they used to be. They're going to go into town and get food. Just thought you want to note that. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now look at verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Let's hit some of the high points here. The first thing that jumps out at us about this story before we get to the woman is the fact that Jesus was weary. Do you see that? Does that not, does that not reinforce to us the humanity of Christ in his incarnation? That he's not only God, but he's man at the same time? Sixth hour, the Jews counted their day beginning in the morning at like 6 a.m. and running till evening. So six hours in the middle of the day is what I'm telling you. So it's the middle of the day. It's blazing hot. I've been to Israel and it, it is hot there. It gets cold in the wintertime too. But he's there in the middle of the day. In fact, this summer on our trip, I can relate to this. We drove through Arizona and Nevada. It was 125 degrees. That's what the thermometer said on the car, 125. And if you got out and went outside, it felt like 155. It was so hot. It's like in the Wizard of Oz, I got out and I'm melting. I'm melting. It's 125 degrees. Stephen, my brother-in-law, was he's been deployed to the desert for the last six months. Yay for him. He's in the desert. He said it's so hot there that it's just miserable. You know, 125, 130 degrees. He said he used to watch movies of people crossing the desert, you know, and after a couple of days they're falling down, dying, and he's saying, man, y'all are wimps. He said, not anymore. He said, and it's 125 degrees. If you try to walk out there, you'd be dead in a day. He said, it, it is that hot, with, especially with no water. I don't know how, I don't know 
what the weather was on the day Jesus was there, but here's what it says. He was weary. In his humanity, he was tired. They walked. They weren't riding horses. They weren't riding in a, in a car. You know, they didn't have a go-kart. They didn't have nothing. They walked. And so Jesus is weary, and he sets down by the well to rest. Now, it reminds us of something. Are you ever tired? Are you ever weary? And, and weariness and tiredness isn't always physical, is it? Sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's emotional. Do you know you can be spiritually tired? I know you can be, okay? You can just be tired. Not, not mad or quitting or anything like that, but you're just tired. And when you pray and you tell Jesus, Lord, I'm a little tired today, and I'm a little wore out, and, and I need to rest, you know what Jesus can say back from heaven? Yeah, I had to sit by the well for a, a while myself. I was tired. And I know how you feel. Hey, and I had to go up into the mountain and get along with the Father and pray because I was tired. The people were wearing me out. Man, healing and preaching and teaching all the time, and I couldn't get away from them. So when you feel that way, be encouraged, all right? Because you can pray and tell Jesus, and he can say from heaven, I know how you feel. Hey, sit down and take a break. Rest a little bit, and Jesus will minister to you. Jesus was tired, and he sat down. Now, the real important part about this that I want us to hone in on for a few minutes this evening is Jesus, if you notice in his ministry, was in the business of smashing barriers. He's in the business of breaking down human barriers. And this is probably exhibit A of all the things that Jesus did dealing with this Samaritan woman. He begins to smash barriers, which opens a way to teach us what the gospel ought to be like. You see, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, and he's no respecter of persons. Jesus doesn't care where a person's from. He doesn't care uh, what ethnicity they are. He doesn't care what their education is. He doesn't care what their socioeconomic uh, capability is. He doesn't care how smart they are or how unsmart they are. He doesn't care where they've been in life, what their, what their background is. Jesus doesn't care what they look like. He doesn't care. He doesn't care anything about... I'll tell you another thing. Jesus doesn't care how bad their sin is because he can save them. It doesn't matter. This woman is exhibit A of that. She's all of that, isn't she? She's everything the Jews hated. You know, half-breed, somebody who's not part of us, somebody who's excluded from the kingdom of God simply because their parents intermarried somewhere along the line and are not pure Jewish. And the Jews hated them. She's a woman of, of poor uh, moral character. And, and the people in town, don't, the women in town won't even let her hang out with them. She's a social outcast. And yet Jesus talks to this woman. He breaks down barriers. That's a lesson for us, isn't it? It's a lesson for us to not be so high and mighty and think about ourselves, but to, but to minister to people that Jesus loves no matter where they come from. Now think about this woman. Number one, she's a Samaritan. The racial animosity ran strong. Between her and the Jews, she even said to Jesus, how is it that you're a Jew talking to me as Samaritan? She was amazed. She was amazed that Jesus would, would give her the time of day. In fact, she was more than amazed. She was shocked. It's a legitimate question. Why would you talk to me? Why would you say anything to me? Number two, she was a woman. Jewish men didn't talk to women in public. Particularly rabbis or Pharisees or people who were teachers, they didn't talk to women. I read one historical document that said they didn't even talk to their wife or their sisters in public. They wouldn't be seen talking to women in public. 
I even read one thing that's kind of funny. They called them the, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees that when they would pass a woman on the street, they would close their eyes so they wouldn't look at them. Well, what happens when you're walking and you close your eyes? You run into things, right? You skin your shin bones and you, and you, and you fall over. They were, listen, they were so serious about protecting their, their religious uh, purity, if you will, and, and not sinning that this woman fit that category. And Jesus just shattered those barriers. Jesus didn't care if she was a woman. Jesus didn't care if she was a Samaritan. Jesus saw this woman as a, as a lost human being that he loved and he was going to the cross to die for and he wanted to save her. Can we have any less attitude? Can we be any less than Jesus and how we minister to people? And the answer is no, we cannot. Jesus loved her as a Samaritan, as a woman. And then finally, I just said in a moment, she's a social outcast. Not only is she a Samaritan, not only is she a woman, but she's a, a woman with a reputation. This well, and it's hard to tell in modern times exactly where Jacob's well is at and that kind of thing. But, but this well seems to be, in that day, not the closest well to Sychar is what I'm telling you. And she's out there in the middle of the day. Now, why do you think that is? The women normally go in the mornings and the evenings and draw water, and they, and they normally go together. She's all by herself. And she's out there in the middle of the day, probably not at the well that's closest to the house. Why do you suppose that is? She's a little too popular with the men in town. And the other women don't like her. And the other women look down on her. And yeah, she's a sinner and she's made some mistakes. And matter of fact, Jesus is going to point out at the very time she's there, she's living in fornication. She's living with a man she's not married to. And so they ostracize her and they look down at her and they treat her with this religious holier-than-thou attitude. And so she's out there all by herself going to this well to fetch water. But Jesus doesn't treat her that way. Jesus enters into a conversation with her. And you say, well, how would Jesus do that? Why would he do that? Because Jesus loves sinners. Paul said, Jesus loves sinners, and I'm the chief of sinners. I think you and I could get in line with Paul. What do you think? Jesus loves sinners and we're up there. We're up there. Let me tell you what we learned from this story very quickly before we look at the conversation. There are, there are no human barriers and there are plenty of human barriers in society today. Christians have no right to stand against people because of human barriers, because of racial barriers or ethnicity concerns or even moral concerns. Now we never condone sin, but we have to love lost people because Jesus loves lost people. And we have to treat lost people with human dignity and respect, not condescending, not talking down to them like we're better than them or higher than them. And trust me, I've been around church since I was 11 years old and I've seen it all my life. Beating people up. Now listen, you know, you've been around here long enough. If we, if we simply say what God said, it's going to cut people to pieces. God's going to do it all by himself. Because why? The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it divides uh, asunder to the heart and soul of man. All we have to do is say what God said, and God will do the cutting. You know what Christians try to do today? 
We try to be judge, jury, and hangman. And we try to, we try to be the one convicting people over their sin by condemning them and talking down to them and treating them like they're a second-rate citizen. And you're never going to win anybody to Jesus that way. Just going to make them mad. Just going to offend them. And they're not going to listen to us. If we apply a little bit about what we learned this morning, that first of all, we respect them and we show them some dignity and we treat them like human beings because, listen, lost men and women are created in the image of God. And lost men and women, their problem is they're just lost. And if they get saved, then all the moral issues will get fixed. I'll give you an example. Sherry teaches a lady. I hope I can tell this. I don't know if she lives. She's a Christian lady. She won't matter. She's a doctor, like a physician, like in a hospital. And when she was lost, she used to do abortions. Now, that's a, that's a, a heinous sin to kill babies in the womb. But you know what happened to this daughter? She got saved. She don't do abortions no more. You know what she does? She goes all over the country speaking about why it's wrong to do abortions. Do you see how that works? Somebody, somebody got into her life. God brought somebody into her life, like this woman at the well, like Jesus showing up. Somebody got into the life of this woman who used to kill babies, and she'll tell you it's wrong, and it was sin, and it's murder. And then she got saved. Somebody treated her with respect, even though she was engaged in a heinous thing of killing babies. And they took the time to explain to her and share the gospel and she accepted Christ and she got saved and now she's on fire for Jesus and she spends the rest of her life teaching people not to do that. Is that not what we're supposed to be doing? Sure it is. That's exactly how we're supposed to do it. You run into somebody in, in, in your walk of life and they're in gross immorality and they're, they're living and sleeping with their boyfriend, their girlfriend. We're not ever gonna condone that stuff because God said it's wrong. But we're gonna love them and we're going to try to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ because if they get saved, guess what? They'll stop doing all that stuff. Not because we tell them to and because it's legalism, but because God said, be holy because I'm holy. And they'll get the conviction. Why? Because what we learned this morning, the Holy Spirit will move in. And when the Holy Spirit moves in, he starts cleaning the house, don't he? He gets out the Holy Spirit broom and starts sweeping out the corners and the stuff that's in our lives and starts convicting us about it. So Jesus goes to this woman, listen to me, that nobody else wanted to talk to. It's sad, isn't it? Here's a woman who was lost and on her way to hell and nobody loved her. Nobody cared about her. Nobody cared what she was doing other than to condemn her and make her an outcast. And the Jews, the religious people in Jerusalem who have all the answers, don't want to have anything to do with her. God help us not to be like that. We have the answer. We got the gospel. And what they need is the gospel, not our condemnation, not our judgment. Listen, if they stay in a life of sin and meet Jesus one day, he'll take care of the judging, all right? We need to take the love of Jesus Christ to them and the gospel in Jesus is exhibit A of how to do that. He shows up at a well to a woman that nobody else will talk to and he's gonna win her to faith. Now, look at the conversation. Look at verses 10 to 15. This woman comes. Jesus said, can I have a drink of water? She said, what? She doesn't even answer. She says, why are you talking to me? Okay. Now, most of us would have went, okay, conversation's over, smart Alec. No, listen to what Jesus did. 
Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink of a water, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Then the woman in verse 15 said to him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, nor I have to come here and draw anymore. Now we see the same, the same tactic, if we use that word, the same approach that Jesus used with Nicodemus is using with this woman. Jesus took a literal thing. With Nicodemus, it was birth, right? And said, you must be born again. And by the way, I don't have time to get into all this, but Jesus was much more to the point with Nicodemus than he is with this woman. You know why? Nicodemus already should know better. He's educated. And so Jesus just cut right to the chase of him and said, Nicodemus, you know better. You just got to be born again. This woman... She's not as far along, right? She don't know as much. So Jesus uses an illustration of water. And he says to her, look, if you knew the person who was asking for this water, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. Now, Jesus is not talking about literal water. He's using a, a real thing, the water, to make a spiritual truth. Now, why can't the woman understand that? She's talking about literal water, and Jesus is talking about spiritual water. But why can't she see it? This is the age-old problem that when we're in sin, we're blind, aren't we? We can't see spiritual things. So she's blind as a bat. She's, she's talking about physical water. As a matter of fact, when Jesus says, I can give you some water that you won't ever be thirsty again, you won't, you won't ever have to come. She says, give me some of that. So I ain't got to walk all the way out here in the middle of the day and get water anymore. I need some of that. And Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. She couldn't understand. Listen, spiritual water, spiritual water is salvation and the Holy Spirit in your life. That's spiritual water. That's him teaching us. Listen to these passages. I love it. Psalm 42.1. The psalmist said, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my, my heart, my soul longs for you. The psalmist said, Lord, like a deer panting for a drink of water is thirsty. I'm thirsty for you. And then in Isaiah 55.1, Hey, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know what Jesus is saying? Hey, I got the free fountain. You come have all you want. All you have to do is come get it. Just come and have all that you want. And in Revelation 21, 6, Jesus said, it's done. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Listen to this. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely, freely to him who thirsts. You know what the key is? Do we thirst for it? Do we want it? Do we thirst for what God offers? See, the world thirsts for the world. And, and those who are lost thirst for sin, but those who are saved should thirst for Jesus and should thirst for the living water. And what Jesus is trying to do in this woman is create a new thirst or help her realize the thirst that she has can only be met in Jesus. Here's what I see a lot, and I'm sure you have seen it before. In every human heart, I believe this. Matter of fact, in John 1, 9, I think, it says Jesus is the light that lights the heart of every man. And I believe every human being who comes into the world because we're in the image of God and because God loves us, we have the, the capacity to recognize God and see spiritual things, but we smother it and we reject it 
And you could liken it in this, in this illustration that Jesus is using to being lost and trying to drink out of the wrong well. The world is drinking out of the wrong well. The world is trying to satisfy what they're looking for and worldliness and things and all the pleasures of the world and sin and, and materialism and popularity and power and fame, and they're drinking out of the wrong well. And Jesus says to this woman, no, 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 come drink out of the well that I'm going to give you. Give, drink the water that I'm going to give you, and that water that I'm going to give you will meet the need of your heart. It'll meet the greatest need in your life, and then you'll be able to understand. That's the message of the gospel. Come and taste and see that he's good. Come and taste and see that the gospel's good. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman. Now, the conversation gets a little more personal. You see, they've had this conversation about the water and she don't understand. So now what Jesus is gonna do is what he did to us. He's gonna put his finger on the place in her heart that needs to be touched. And when you got saved, that's what Jesus did to you. In fact, you remember the rich young ruler that ran to Jesus and said, I, you know, good master, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, well, keep all the law. And he named off all the things. He's done it from his youth up. Well, there was a place in his heart that he wasn't surrendered to God. And Jesus put his finger right on it and it was his riches. Right? Remember that? And he wasn't willing to give it up. Well, Jesus is about to put his finger on the place in this lady's heart that needs to be touched as well. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Well, the conversation was okay until right then. She was enjoying the conversation until that. Now look, verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Now she didn't put in the rest of it. She just said, I don't have a husband. But Jesus is God. And he said in verse 17, Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband. In other words, I know you don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. What do you think she's thinking right about there? Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five and the guy you're living with right now ain't your husband. She's squirming now. And when Jesus puts his finger on you, you squirm, don't you? Because Jesus don't mess around. He just goes, here's the problem right here. Boom. Now watch the rest of it. The woman said in verse 19, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, that's intuitive, isn't it? Well, you must be a prophet to know all that stuff about me. Now watch in verse 20, she changes the subject. We don't need to be talking about husbands and men I'm living with. Notice this. You know, our fathers worshiped on this mountain and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Then Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. Now look at this statement in verse 22. For salvation is of the Jews. Well, that's a good thing to know when people are arguing about where did Jesus come from and who was he? Jesus said salvation is of the Jews. Why? Because he's Jewish. I actually had somebody ask me one time, what nationality was Jesus? And I go, really? I mean, is, that, is that a serious question or are you messing with me? Salvations of the Jews, okay? He's Jewish. Now look at verse 23. Jesus says, but the hour is coming as now and when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Here's verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus is, Jesus is telling her how the gospel is going to be. He's telling her how the church age is going to be. She say, he's saying to her, look, 
It isn't about worshiping here in Jerusalem anymore. Salvation's of the Jews. That's the question you're asking me. Salvation comes from the Jews, from Jerusalem, from God, there among the people. But there's come at a time when God wants people to worship him in spirit and truth wherever they are, which is the gospel. We get saved and we can worship God wherever we are. I can worship Jesus here. I can worship Jesus on a ship in the middle of the ocean. I can worship him on the other side of the world. And that's what Jesus is telling this woman. Now, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. You know what she's saying to him? Yeah, well, that may be, but when Messiah gets here, he'll explain all this. That may be, but I know the Messiah is coming, and when he gets here, we'll find out who's right. And then Jesus said to him, verse 26, well, you're talking to him. I really like that. I who speak to you am him. The Messiah you're looking for, I'm it. That's awesome, isn't it? Let me hit some high points in here. Go call your husband. You know what Jesus is drawing her out to do? Confess. He's wanting, her, he's wanting her to agree about her sin. You know what we do with our sin? It bugs us, so we put it away. If you're saved, your sin bugs you. And so you bury it, and you hide it, and you don't talk about it. You don't even talk to yourself about it. We just, we just put it away. You know what Jesus wants us to do? Talk about it. He wants us to admit it. He wants us to come clean about it. And so Jesus says to this woman, hey, go, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. And then Jesus just unfolds the whole thing, don't he? Because there's no hidden sin with him. He says, yeah, you've had five. And now the guy you're living with, you ain't married to. And she knew exactly what that meant. Yeah, I'm living in sin. And that's why none of the ladies want to hang out with me. And they're afraid their husband's going to be number six. So none of them want to come draw water with me. And, and she got it, okay? She understood. And then she tried to change the subject. She tried to be religious. You ever happen to you when you're talking to somebody about Jesus? Now they want to talk about religion. I don't want to talk about religion. I want to talk about Jesus. And many times, here's what I'll say to them. I don't do it as good as Jesus did it, but what I'll say to them is I'll say, look, the whole question about the chicken and the egg, which one got here first? Let's put that on a shelf right here and let's talk about Jesus. And after we talk about Jesus, we'll go back and talk about the chicken and the egg. And you know what happens if they get saved? They don't care about the chicken and the egg. She wants to be religious. She wants to talk about where we're supposed to worship, which, which temple's right, which temple are we supposed to be in. So Jesus answers her question, and then she brings up the Messiah, which is playing right into what he wants to do. He'll tell us when he gets here, and Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who can give you the answer. Now, I don't have time to read it all because we're about out of time, but let me, tell you the, let me tell you the rest of the story here. You go home and read it because it's through the rest of the chapter. About the time... There, Jesus is dealing with her about her husbands and, and all that stuff. The disciples come back with the food, right? And they see Jesus talking to this woman. And you can tell from, from their questions, they're a little freaked out. Like, he's talking to a woman. He's talking to a woman out here by the well all by himself. He ain't supposed to be talking to a woman. And they say, hey, they just jump right in. No, they don't ask him what he's doing. They don't... It, and listen, they were still callous toward the Samaritans because they don't care about this woman. And they say, hey, we got some food. You want something to eat? You remember what Jesus said to them? No, I already ate. And Jesus again is talking about spiritual stuff, right? He said, my food, I'm, I'm filled by doing what the Father sent me to do, ministering to this woman. I don't need that food right now. And of course, the disciples being the really sharp pencils they were, they said, well, 
where did he get food from? And they, they too weren't getting the fact that he's talking about spiritual things and they're talking about literal things. Now here's the best part of the story. We know the woman got saved. You say, well, it doesn't say in there that she prayed a prayer to receive Jesus. No, it doesn't. But the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? Remember when you get saved, there's some change. And when you get saved, there's obedience and there's action, right? So what does she do? She hot foots it back to town and tells everybody that she met a man that knew everything there was about her life. And she said, is that not the Messiah? She's got a testimony. She believes he's the Messiah. She's already put her faith in him. And so she goes back to town. And what's the first thing people do when they really get saved? They got to tell somebody. Got to tell somebody, hey, let me tell you what happened to me today. Let me tell you what I did. Man, I, I, I went to church and, and they shared the gospel with me and I prayed to receive Christ. And Jesus has changed my thinking. He's changed my life already. And one day, let me tell you about him. When people get saved, they got to tell somebody. I told you a story. I got saved on a Sunday, on a Sunday morning in a Sunday school class. And my friend, I was 11 years old, and I had a, this boy that I ran with all the time with BB guns. We won't tell nobody we shot one another with that thing, but we would, we would chase one another in the woods and with BB gun. Kids, well, I'm not getting that. We, we, and we would shoot stuff with BB guns. And his name was, his name was, his last name was Friend. So my friend's name was Friend. And so the next day when we got out of school, my friend came over and we were going to go shoot stuff. And I said, man, let me tell you what happened yesterday. And he said, what? I said, I went to church. He said, why'd you do that? Because my daddy said to. And he said, okay. And I, and I said, let me tell you what happened. And I said, I went into this classroom and this lady was teaching the Bible and she told me about Jesus and she shared the gospel with me and told me that I was a sinner and that, that I, that I was under the judgment of God and that Jesus died on the cross, paid for my sin. And she told me the whole story. And she asked me that I want to get saved and go to heaven. And I said, yeah, it's a good idea to go to heaven. I said, so yeah, I need to get saved. And she said, well, you got to confess your sin and put your faith in Jesus and ask him to save you. And I said, I prayed out loud right there and asked Jesus to save me. And you know what? He saved me. I said, I don't know a whole lot, but I said, things are different now. And I want to read the Bible and, and we're going to go to church. And you know what my friend said to me? He said, can I do that too? I said, yeah, I think so. I said, I mean, she told me, and so now I'm telling you, and I didn't have a Bible with me. I, and I said, I'm going to tell you what she told me. And so I told him everything she told me. And he says, well, I want to pray too. I said, well, man, let's pray. And he prayed and my friend got saved. Chasing me around with a BB gun. Listen, what I'm telling you is that's what this woman did. In it, she got saved. She ran into the Messiah and she goes back to town and all them mean people who didn't like her, she's telling them about Jesus. And you say, well, what good did that do? It did a lot of good. Cause half the town comes out to the well to see Jesus. And, and guess what they say? We thought your story was pretty good and we believed you, but now we've seen him for ourselves and we really believe you. And they put their faith in Jesus too. In fact, let me tell you how effective this woman was in sharing her faith. Jesus ended up staying in Samaria two days. Stayed in the town for two days. I bet the disciples were really excited about that. We won't even talk about that. What did you say, Jesus? We're staying here? Where are we going to sleep? She said, anywhere. I can't sleep in a Samaritan house. Well, let's sleep outside. I can just almost see how the conversation went. But they go into town. They stay for two days. And what does Jesus do? He preaches and he teaches. And, it, and, and multitudes of people in town get saved. Listen, let's tie this up. 
There, this, this model in chapter four is what we're supposed to be all about. That's what we're supposed to be about. Simply telling people what Jesus did for us. Simply telling people who we met. Listen, I met Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And listen to me. We're supposed to tell everybody, not the people we like, not the people who like us, not the people who look like us, not the people with the same color skin, not, not people with the same ethnicity or the same, uh, or the same uh, speech or the same language or, or, or people from the South slang or from the North or from the West. Listen, we're supposed to tell everybody the church of Jesus Christ is made up of everybody. We go out of here tonight. Listen, there's enough people in this room right now on a Sunday night. Praise God for it. You could tell all kinds of people this week about Jesus and invite them to come. Tell them about Christ. Invite them to come with you. Invite them to come hear the truth for themselves. That's what this woman did. Hey, you don't believe me? Come see him. He's sitting out there by the well. And the people went out there and met Jesus, and they go, you're right. I believe he's the Messiah. Invite them. Invite them to come and meet Jesus for themselves. If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, now's the opportunity. If you're watching online, and I know we record this and we do it live, pray to receive Christ tonight. Be like the woman at the well. Lay aside your pride. Be willing to confess your sin. Jesus will save you just like he did her. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this passage and what it teaches us. Lord, thank you that your love is for all people. God, you went into Samaria in a place the Jews wouldn't go. A woman who didn't like you, and yet you loved her anyway, and you shared the truth with her, and you drew her out, Lord. She understood her sin, and she put her faith in you, and she was saved forever. Thank you, God, that you do that. I pray you bless us tonight, Lord, if there's one that needs to be saved under the hearing of your word, that God, right now, they would pray and ask you to save them. Bless our time together tonight. Bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. If I can pray with you or help you or answer any questions, you come on the first verse. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour. Wednesday night to a Bible study class. I know if you're working, you can't work, you can zoom in. We do it live. You can watch the class. Um, we have people zoom into the class I teach. We're in the OWL class and we have the HOPE class and all the classes. If you're not working or you get off work and you can come, come be with us at 6.30 on Wednesday night. We have a class for you. It's a good time. We fellowship and we study the Bible together. I want to invite you to come. Let's pray before we go. Thank you, Father, for today. How good it's been to be in this place with your people. Uh, Lord, bless us this week. Keep us from sin. Keep us from failure. And Lord, help us to be the witness that we should be. In Jesus' name, amen.